This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There's a lot happening in Lansing right now, the state capitol. Republicans in the House and Senate are holding up several billion dollars in COVID relief for things like school safety, vaccine distribution, food assistance, and housing assistance here in Michigan. Think about that. Think about the things that we've seen go on during the pandemic and the needs that people have. The idea that you have those who represent us standing in the way of the relief that the federal government is trying to get to people's lives. They're also working on a new budget in Lansing for the upcoming fiscal year. And my next guest is also working on some interesting environmental and energy legislation that aims to reduce waste and pollution and put more people to work in Michigan. I want to welcome State Senator Jeff Irwin, a Democrat from Ann Arbor who represents Michigan's 18th Senate District to Detroit Today. Jeff, great to have you here. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. So first, let's talk about what's going on with this holdup in federal COVID relief dollars. Uh, The governor wants to use the full $5 billion in federal aid to help schools reopen with as little risk as possible to administer vaccines, fund food and housing assistance and more. But Republicans are using that money as a bargaining chip to try to wrest away some of the governor's powers to respond to the pandemic. This has been their singular obsession, it seems, since the pandemic started, how much power the governor has and how much they want for themselves. Yes, that's exactly right. And the legislature continues to be frustrated um, with the governor that we've elected and with the public health laws that we've passed in this state. And now they are withholding federal funds from our schools making it harder for our schools to reopen safely. They're withholding federal funds from renters and landlords who are struggling to get those bills paid. And they're withholding federal funds that are needed for vaccine delivery and a whole host of other important needs in our state. And, uh, you know, I understand that they've been frustrated. Uh, You know, they've been uh, having frustrating negotiations and shared power is difficult. But, um, you know, our citizens are facing difficult times, too, and what they need out of us in Lansing is for us to come together, take these federal dollars that have been appropriated for the people in our state and make sure that they get down to the people and get working in those people's pockets. Mm. And and how likely is that to happen? I mean, everything is a negotiation in Lansing, and you've got to give a little to get a little sometimes. Are, are you confident that we'll be able to get because of the urgency of this COVID relief money. It seems like uh, there, there, there should be a way to get that, that going. Yeah, this, this behavior of withholding federal dollars from our citizens as part of uh, a political leverage around a separate issue, I think is very irresponsible. I don't think there's any end game to it. And I am confident that these dollars will eventually get to the people because there's only one right answer when you're asked what should we do with these federal dollars meant for our people in Michigan, appropriate them, send them to our schools, send them to our hospitals, send them to our struggling renters. That's what these dollars are for. And for the legislature to play political games with these dollars is completely irresponsible and reckless. And I'm hopeful that we're going to get some of those dollars freed up this week, but we need to get all those dollars into the hands of our citizens. Hmm. Okay. So last week we talked at length on the show about this power grid crisis in Texas and we compared that to how we treat our utilities and grid infrastructure here in Michigan. Of course, we have a pretty heavy, heavily regulated system here that carves out near monopolies for DTE and consumers in most of the state. Texas has this 
really free market approach with uh, with few regulations by comparison. But you say neither system is the ideal. You'd rather see energy utilities publicly owned like our water utilities. I'd love to hear you talk more about that and, and talk about why you think that's the best solution. Well, uh, you know, this is a complicated issue. There's a lot of different moving parts. But one thing that remains true is that there's a lot of different ways we can regulate our electricity grid. We could treat it like Texas does, where it's completely unregulated. We could have a more blended system like we have in Michigan, where we guarantee monopolies to private companies, but then regulate them fairly heavily. Or we can treat it like we treat our water system. And I think that if people think about their water bill and they think about their electricity bill, uh, if we compare the kind of service we get um, here in Southeast Michigan versus communities like Lansing that have a municipal authority, one of the things that comes out is that these public authorities have cheaper power, they have more reliable power, and they have greener power. And so, you know, when I look at my water bill and I see how that's handled, it seems like it's handled, um, you know, very effectively, very efficiently, and, you know, the price that I get uh, for the service I receive is is really quite um, quite excellent. And so, you know, do we want our electricity to work more like cable or do we want it to work more like our water system? Mm. And if if you were to do something like that in, in this state, I mean, obviously the utilities would would lose their minds uh, if if that was uh, on the table. But but talk about how likely we are to see changes to the system we have now in light of what happened in Texas, in light of some of the other issues that we've dealt with uh, for some time, is this, is this something that, that we could see policy sort of uh, evolve on in, in Michigan? Well, typically in Lansing where, you know, the legislature has been under Republican control for many years, the Michigan Senate has been under Republican control since Reagan was president. You actually see, uh, you know, policy proposals from the conservatives to deregulate the state, to make the state more like Texas. And I do think that because of the incident down there, because of people dying as a result of the poor decisions to not winterize their equipment in Texas, I think that some of those pushes for deregulation here are going to be quieter this year than they have been in previous years. Um, You know, when it comes to trying to improve uh, reliability and trying to improve, uh, you know, our system, yeah, I think you might see some proposals along those lines. But, you know, for the most part, the electricity system here in Michigan, um, you know, there haven't been a lot of changes to to those regulations since 2016 when we passed our last big energy package. Hmm. So uh, a lot of Republicans quickly latched onto the idea that wind turbines were somehow to blame for what happened in Texas. That, of course, is false. Wind is not nearly enough of the power generation source in Texas to really have caused something as massive as the failures that we saw. But I wonder what your reaction is to that criticism, given your championing of renewable energy here in in Michigan. Well, you know, there are choices, uh, policy choices around regulation and choices around operation that need to be made. And here in Michigan, you know, we winterize our windmills, we winterize our power plants uh, because we know that cold weather can happen. In Texas, partly because they have such weak regulations, they didn't require their power companies to regulate their plants, they didn't require pipelines to be winterized, they didn't require their windmills to be, or their turbines to be um, winterized. And as a result, they had failures in all these areas. But as you point out, the biggest failure was in their natural gas system. And when you had plants going offline just at the same moment that people were trying to get more gas to fuel their homes, 
it created this sort of you know perfect storm, so to speak, of of you know uh, electricity uh, problems and natural gas problems in that state. And so, you know, as I've looked into what happened in Texas, the biggest problem was that they had their natural gas plants going offline right at the same time. They um, their their homeowners that heated with natural gas were demanding more more supply, and as a result, they just you know couldn't keep supply going to those plants, and, and they didn't winterize them. And so, you know, th- those are decisions that you know, need to be made better in Texas. Here in Michigan, of course, we know that cold weather can happen, uh, but what it really brings me back to is our overall. Um, issue of climate change. And I hear from polluters over and over and over again that it's too expensive to deal with climate change. It's too expensive to rein in our pollution. Well, now we're seeing in Texas that there's a cost for not taking care of these problems. There's a cost for ignoring the global weather weirding that we're causing. Mm. I'm talking with State Senator Jeff Irwin, a Democrat from Ann Arbor who represents Michigan's 18th district. In the State Senate, we're talking about all the things that are happening in Lansing, COVID relief uh, bills that are being dollars that are being held up by uh, Republican legislators. And we're also talking about the energy crisis in Texas with the failure of their power grid, how that relates to uh, our utility regulation here in Michigan, the way we deal with uh, power generation and distribution. Um, we also uh, are talking a little bit about uh, the prevalence of PFAS chemicals in our water, something we haven't talked a whole lot about recently here uh, on the show. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you make of this move to delay billions of dollars in federal funding for COVID relief just as uh, we are coming to the maybe the the end of this this terrible pandemic? Uh, What do you think about the way Michigan treats its energy utilities and the grid? Uh, What would you like to see us move more toward the, the, the way that Texas is doing it? Or Uh, maybe move in a really different direction than they have uh, in Texas. Uh, Give us a call at uh, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Jeff, that that prevalence of PFAS chemicals in water, but also in everyday items like food containers and wrappers, is getting some renewed attention now thanks to some new efforts by the EPA Uh, This is something you've put a lot of focus on in the past, uh, and you've sponsored legislation to ban PFAS chemicals in food packaging. Uh, Talk a little more about how prevalent this chemical is in our daily lives and what what the solution is. Yeah, well, these compounds were developed, and they started getting into all sorts of different products, and now they're everywhere. And if I were to test your blood, Stephen, and I were to test my blood, we would find PFAS not just in our products, but actually in our bloodstreams. And, you know, these are pollutants that are likely carcinogens. And even though the most dangerous PFAS chemicals that we've done a lot of testing on and we know cause cancer have been banned, some of them are still lingering in the environment. And what industry has done is industry has just moved to different PFAS chemicals that might be less harmful and just haven't been banned yet. And many of those chemicals are in common everyday products. One of the product areas that I've focused on, uh, because I think that it's compelling as a, as a consumer, is that we have PFAS in our food packaging. And one of the spaces where there's been a fair amount of research is on fast food containers. And so if you go to a fast food um, restaurant and you get 
um, say, a, a fries that are in a bag, that bag usually has a PFAS lining on it. And some of that PFAS can, can leach off of that bag and into the food. Same with wrappers for burgers. Um, you know, on, alternatively, if you have something that is more of like a clamshell cardboard container, uh, that probably doesn't have PFAS in it unless it's, it's, it's got a coating on it. And so what I proposed is let's stop using PFAS in our food packaging. Let's take that one uh, clear vector of PFAS getting into our environment and into our bodies, and let's just stop doing that. There are products out there that work just fine that um, you know, uh, restaurants and fast food companies could use to put their fries in. And I propose that in Michigan, we require them to do so to protect our health and to start getting these PFAS chemicals out of our consumer products, because eventually, even if they don't get into our bloodstream right away, they get into our landfill and eventually into our environment and water. Mm. And it seems like each time we talk about this, there's another idea to try to move in that direction, but that we move pretty Slowly, I mean, the the reaction to these chemicals and their their absolute widespread nature seems delayed or or or, or slow somehow. Uh, it really is everywhere, and we are doing very little to to, to roll that back. Yes, and we've had this same experience with other chemicals before, right? That we discover some chemical, it becomes very useful for something. Let's we'll say, for instance, PCBs. We use them for decades. They get more and more you know, ubiquitous in products and in our, our, our industrial processes. And then all of a sudden we find out that they're dangerous. And usually it takes a long time, sometimes decades, for the regulatory system and the law to catch up to these problems. And partially that's because um, the elected officials, I think, are not reacting quickly enough to rein in these types of abuses because you know, for each of us that are out there living our daily lives, whether it's PFAS and food containers or whether it's um, nasty effluent coming out of a smokestack, that's only affecting us a tiny bit. It's only increasing our cancer risk by a tiny bit. But for those polluters, the authority to be able to continue to use those products or continue to you know, spew that effluent might be worth millions of dollars a year to that company. And so they're lobbying very hard to prevent these kinds of rules, whereas the public that is clearly would benefit from stronger rules and is clearly harmed by pollution has a very diffuse negative impact. And it's that mismatch in intensity that I think causes government to fail to protect the public health in this regard. Mm. Okay, uh, State Senator Jeff Irwin, Democrat from Ann Arbor, who represents Michigan's 18th District. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Uh, good luck with uh, all of the negotiations that you have to be part of here uh, in Lansing. There's a lot of work in front of uh, legislators. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a wide-ranging talk, but I do appreciate the focus and bring us back to the fact that there are dollars in Lansing right now that are being held up as part of a political uh, you know, ultimatum when those dollars need to get down to our communities to help folks that are in need, particularly our renters who have bills stacked up and our schools that are trying to reopen safely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks very much for being with us. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the state of the pandemic now that the United States has surpassed half a million COVID deaths. We'll also hear from the creators of the Pandemic Journaling Project, which aims to make sure that ordinary people struggling through this pandemic have their voices heard and their experiences remembered. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.